0: This is Local Color, distributed by Your Public Studios, a podcast dedicated to the artists, entrepreneurs, and social innovators using their talents to make Baltimore and the DMV a better place. I'm your host, Jason V, and on the show today, Ada Pinkston. The New York native has spent time living in New Jersey, California, and, of course, Baltimore, Maryland. Ada identifies herself not as a community organizer, but a community artist and art lecturer. Her installations frequently touch on the concept of time and how we interact with it. For her, the community organizing happens when neighborhoods and people organize around the art and share a collective experience. I'd like to start today's episode by congratulating the finalists for the 2022 Janet and Walter Sondheim Art Prize. It's truly a gift to be able to move people through your creations. When I was a kid, I would have given my pinky finger to be a good artist, but instead, I'm just a good writer and podcaster. Anyway. Anyway. Whether you're strolling the halls of a museum or rubbing shoulders at an art opening, experiencing art is simultaneously an individual and collective experience. As you look at the painting or sculpture you're surrounded by others doing the same thing yet each and every person responds to the art differently it's these experiences that my guest ada pinkston strives to create with her art ada was born in new york city before moving to new jersey during the summer she'd spend time with family members down in mississippi every year she went back though more and more of the community's history was leveraged as an economic engine yet less and less of that same community would remain year over year For college, Ada found herself back in New England, and that's where she picks up her story.
1: I went to Wesleyan University Mm -hmm. um, in Middletown, Connecticut. It was a small liberal arts school, and yeah, that's where I ended up going. And that's also, you know, where I took my first, my first college-level art class was not the best experience so then I was like, you know what? I don't need, you know, if you think about it, if you think about the, the history of, of art education or, or the process of, of people becoming artists, the, the model was through, you know, artists became artists in workshop, right? It wasn't an institutional experience. It was learning under the masters, right? Or the support masters, right? Or learning under the people that were more established. Um, yeah. So the reason why that experience was not the best, let me tell you why it wasn't the best. So it's this drawing class with this person, this faculty member who literally, and it's funny because it, it, like all of the people that she was obsessed with were these white dudes in the class, but the white dudes that had the same aesthetic and style as her. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I know I was definitely, I spent a lot of time on, on the work. I spent hours and hours on the work and my roommate, um, who was somebody that I, um, knew from high school, um, she spent a lot less time, on the work and got the same grade. And I was like, okay. So that was when I also knew that this this grading is, you know, these systems in place around are, not,
0: are, are, are are they're not for us. They're uh yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we lived, you know, it's funny. Um she requested, I didn't know this at the time, but she requested that we live together. Um, and we lived in the the Black dorm, is called Malcolm X House. And Malcolm X House was formed out of a lot of organized student organizing um, in the 70s. And so they formed Malcolm X House, but they also formed, you know, African Studies or African American Studies Department as well. Um, yeah, but, and it's, I mean, I don't, from the last I heard, most of the faculty in the African-American studies department resigned.
0: They resigned Um, in protest or?
1: Or it was some, yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, So you went to Wesleyan, majored in psychology, and that's where you you had that bad experience with the art class. Uh, Before we jump into your life post-college, was that art class like your first exposure or... Uh like significant experience with art or as you were growing up, did you always demonstrate an interest in it?
1: Yeah, for sure. Growing up, I've always been, you know, that was the answer to the question when people would be like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I want to be an artist. And everyone was like, okay, That's, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a strange thing for a four-year-old to say, but it's something that I saw you know um
0: yeah and at least they didn't I- i'm assuming they didn't discourage you from becoming an artist did they
1: oh yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: never mind uh, yes
1: yeah, definitely in the beginning years is like mm, you know because the, it's a it is a risk right yeah. there's a lot of risk you know and both of my parents worked really hard um throughout their lives um, and there is a fear of, okay, you know, the, the trope of the starving artist.
0: Of course, yes. You
1: know, um, and that's, that's not a trope, that's a reality too, right? So um, yeah, I ended up continuing. So from the time I was four, I wanted to be an artist and then there was a moment And I'll never forget it, when my sixth grade art teacher called my mother in. (laughs) She was like, I need to speak to your parents. It's really important. And I thought it was for something wrong. Like, I did something wrong, of course. Right. my sixth grade brain. And then she came, my mother came to the school, and um, the art teacher was like, Ada is a really great artist. I really want you to like, to find ways for her to continue to do art. Um, so it's, you know, and she gave her some recommendations. Uh, and there's this place called the Art Students League. And the Art Students League, they, you know, they have classes on the weekends. Um, and I was like, they, <laughs> this middle school student taking figure drawing at the Art Students League. And then what ended up happening was one day I came home with one of the drawings of the people, you know? Yeah. And then it was this man happened to me, this man, you know, this naked and then my mother was completely freaked out and um, didn't go back. There was no, there was no, <laughs> there was no going back to the Art students league after that. Um, but Yeah. So I've I've been, I feel like there's always been a pull for art for me.
0: So once you finished college um, and you got into the work world, in the research that I've done on you, your profile lists you as a multimedia artist, a community organizer, art lecturer, and uh, even you said a few minutes ago, you were a teacher. You taught, I think, middle school and high school. Um, Which of these Titles or or like professions came first, or do you feel like they all happened at the same time?
1: Yeah, um, that's a good question. So basically, you know, my background is in psychology. So after undergrad, I was doing a lot of temp work. Mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of temp work in New York and New Jersey, and um, temp work on film sets, temp work in. I worked at this um, long-term, it was like this place that staffed long-term nurses. Um, So I was like a care manager. Um, So I would say there's always, I've always been interested in the space that exists between art and people. And I've always been interested in the ways that art can be used or um, the ways that art can be a tool for some sort of transformation. Um, So when I, so after undergrad, I was doing temp work in New York, New Jersey, and then I, so started, so the beginning of my undergrad career undergrad, um, you know, educational experience was 9-11, September 11th, 9-11. Then the end of my undergraduate experience was Katrina. And both of those experiences, I would say, um, made it impossible to ignore the ways that humanity can can be, can be an ugly experience or the human experience can be an ugly experience because of the way that power structures play out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I applied. So when I heard after Katrina happened, um, I wanted to go down there and the freedom schools were the only schools that were open at the time.
0: And what are Um, the freedom schools?
1: So the Freedom Schools were basically, so um, Ella Baker and a bunch of other organizers in the 60s and 70s started the Freedom Schools as a way to basically improve the literacy rate of Black people in the South. Mm -hmm. And they started this um, at a time when, you know, the voting rights, once the voting rights of Black people in the South were, you know, once people became enfranchised and full citizens of the US, um, a lot of the states created these these um, these reading tests. Or some of them were absolutely ridiculous, right? Um, but the Freedom School was meant to make sure that um, people could pass these tests in order to vote, right? That's one element of it, but then the other element, element of it was, want, was to make sure that um, people could read, right? Literacy was, uh, was a problem at that time. But then guess what? 1992, there's some testing done that demonstrated the literacy rates between African-American children, um, you know, and different races of children in the US, it was still, still the same gaps, right? Mm-hmm. in gaps in literacy rates so in nineteen ninety two um the children's defense fund was started, and they reinitiated the freedom schools nationally with the intention of creating a um a culturally relevant curriculum right to make sure that um you know african american children could be would be at Better literacy rates, right, and when I say culturally relevant curriculum, I mean like reading books that were more relevant to the experience of the of the students in the classroom, right The freedom schools were the only schools that were open at, right after Katrina, and you know, I emailed them, and also, you know what this is the thing in retrospect, like I probably should have just gone down there, <laughs> so obviously they were not responding to anybody's emails but The place that did respond was uh, the Freedom School out of the Third Baptist Church in San Francisco. I ended up going there to teach. And it was kind of, you know, it was kismet in a lot of ways because I made friends with people. I became really close friends, you know, chosen family, really, who live in the San Francisco Bay Area and made friends with them. Um, from like my undergrad years and they would hook me up with housing and yeah so that was how I ended up in the San Francisco Bay Area working for the Freedom School at the Third Baptist Church
0: so the Freedom School was in in New Orleans and then that's where you met the the people that you would end up in the Bay Area with
1: no the Freedom School is Freedom Schools are national okay Freedom schools are national, so I basically, like, sent emails right after Katrina. I sent these emails because I wanted to work at a freedom school. Okay. In New Orleans, but the only one that responded was the one in San Francisco.
0: Oh, okay. I see. That makes sense now. Gotcha,
1: gotcha. Yeah, that was only And I was like, okay, well, I have, you know, I've chosen family there, really. Um, yeah. And also it's close to Mama Dolly who's also my blood family or mm-hmm. closer to Mama Dolly. Who's um, um, she's in Los Angeles and I have, you know, family in Richmond too, Richmond, California, not Richmond, Virginia.
0: Uh, <laughs> how did you end up becoming like the a, a multimedia artist and a community organizer? If you could just give like a, just like a brief summary of how you came to those, uh, to, to those titles as well.
1: I wouldn't say I'm a community organi- organizer. I would say I'm a, community artists and like a cultural organizer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was in San Francisco, the, some of the artists that I worked for were basically that, right? Like they were community arts organizers. One of them created this space, this really beautiful space uh, in the mission um, called the Red Poppy Art House. It was basically a space where it was basically their personal studio that they opened up to community. Um, And the way that they kept the lights on was by keeping the doors open, literally. So uh, they every weekend would be um, a jazz or any type of music performance on Friday and Saturday nights. And they charged slide and scale at the door. But then they also did this thing called the Mission Arts and Performance Project Mm -hmm. that was um, a bi-monthly event where literally people will open up their living rooms to show art people will open up their garages to show art there would be like some street corners with art on it and it was like every two months it would be a map and people could walk around and crawl you know and see different uh creative expressions um or different types of creative expressions from poetry to music to to painting. Um, but I was the coordinator of the family arts program there. Mm-hmm. And family arts was literally ages from like one to four um, on the street corner. And we would paint every Saturday. And it would, you know, this neighborhood is a neighborhood that now, you know, because of the tech industry and, and gentrification, a lot of um, a lot of the original neighborhood is gone. Yeah, it
0: seemed like um, with with all of your experiences, you, th- you were able to find a lane of being all of those things, like an artist, um, art lecturer, and, and like you said, a community art, artist more than a community organizer. But the art is what the community organized around. And on top of all of that, you were able to find a way to make a living.
1: Yeah, and it took, you know, as... I'm sure you know it takes a while right after undergrad I was just literally applying to so many things right and getting rejections but that's just part of life like I applied it to some of these brands or some of these fellowships and you know you just like rejection is part of it
0: we'll be right back after a quick break and when we return I continue my conversation with Ada Pinkston I'm Jason V this is Local Color stay with us Hey, I'm Jason V, this is Local Color, and before the break, my guest Ada Pinkston described her experiences working and living in San Francisco and developing community-based art programs. In 2011, she moved to Baltimore to attend grad school at MICA, but that was her second reason for leaving San Fran. The first reason was love and a relationship, and Ada found a home in Baltimore. Though she's received several grants and prizes to expand her portfolio and continue her career, Ada says she wants to leave space for Baltimore-based artists looking for their shot. As we continue our conversation, Ada gives expert advice on the worst part of applying for a grant, getting rejected. What's advice you'd give to someone who is like continually getting rejected or they haven't even applied to grants because they're afraid of the rejection?
1: Keep your head up and keep going. And also think about how you can do the work that you propose in a way that is like maybe like a test or smaller scale so that the next time you apply, you have some type of template um, that the the person or the, the review review panel can see. Also, I would say get feedback as much as possible. Like if somebody or if an institution or if some type of um, opportunity rejects you, email them back and be like, excuse me, I'd love to get some feedback. Also think about what are the small victories that you sometimes. I mean, you know, a lot of times we have a tendency to focus on the negative, but like what are the positive? and how to center that? Maybe applied to three things and didn't get them, but out of that application, the the moment of synthesizing your ideas and thoughts is a small victory.
0: I actually like the way that you frame that as a, like, even if you're getting rejected, that could still be considered a small victory, because the like the like the first time you go out for a grant, you're probably going to get rejected. But the fact that you sat down and put together the application and really thought critically about putting um, your ideas and your thoughts and your feelings out there, and committing it to paper for for uh, a review board is definitely nerve-wracking especially when you send something off and you're just going to wait to hear back from them in like a few weeks or you're always checking uh, like checking the email, checking your mail and stuff like that. Um, but I think the framing it as a small victory is a good way to to look at it, because even when you do get that rejection, the next time you go at it, you're that much more prepared and you just basically keep on refining your process. Until you finally get that grant, or until you finally get that yes,
1: yeah, that, and also, I have to say, in the age of social media that we live in, like we're all we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people, mm-hmm. and I think that you know the that kind of sometimes makes the rejection of you know not receiving a grant sting a little bit more sometimes. Um, so I also would say like maybe unplug a bit and like re ground and recenter too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. One thing, one little, uh, like piece of advice that I can offer people when it comes to that, I still have Instagram because I just use it for the podcast. But what I did was I turned off my notifications, like when people post, or even when somebody sends me a message or something, I'm not notified of it. So it keeps me off Instagram and doing like the, the compare comparison uh olympics where you feel like you're not doing anything with your life and then you are able to kind of focus more on what is important uh what's important for you can you talk about uh some of like the recent programs or performances and exhibitions that you've been involved with um in baltimore and and other cities
1: yeah um this past year was kind of amazing um Mm. I made an augmented reality monument that honors the life of Betty Mason, a woman who was um, enslaved when she arrived in the state of California, but then she died a millionaire in the 19th century. Her story is quite remarkable in that, it, you know, it's really is a story of, of survival, resilience, like really flipping the script, <laughs> right? Um, And she walked, so basically she walked from the, so from the state of Mississippi to California because the people that enslaved her were, um, they were Mormon, right? So there was this whole movement of Mormons. That's why all the Mormons are in Utah. I don't know if you know this, but a lot of the Mormons are in Utah Mm -hmm. because their leader, like at some point in the the mid-19th century, the leader was like, They were like, we need to move west. But by the time most of them got to Utah, they were done. Most because, you know, it was a very long journey, um, different time, you know, people, a lot of people got sick, et cetera. Um, But he actually wanted was like, let's go further west. But at the time, the state of California had not been established as a slave state or a free state so her she and a bunch of um the other people that she was enslaved with petitioned the state of california court to um basically become liberated to become free and that court case her the court case basically was the one that um determined that that the state of california was a free state so after she became free, she was a midwife. She was skilled and because she was so skilled, she was able to charge a lot for her her skill. And she ended up buying parcels of land in downtown Los Angeles. Um, and yeah, and then literally died a millionaire. Yes. Yeah. So It was an augmented reality monument that was made in collaboration with Los Angeles County Museum of Art. And
0: okay. Snapchat. oh okay, cool. And so that people could, they could like um, hold up their phone with Snapchat open and like with the camera scan the monument, or they would they would see it through their phone. Yeah. Do you have any installations or anything similar uh, here in Baltimore?
1: I do not now. I've done these series of performances at the sites where Confederate monuments were removed or where they used to be. That's literally part of a lot of my, a lot of the work that I've been doing over the past five years. Right now, I have no shows coming up in Baltimore. Stay tuned.
0: (laughs) Okay. And uh, that was going to be my final question is what's coming up next for you. So you don't have anything planned in Baltimore. Is there anything that you can talk about or, or hint at that you're working on?
1: um well I'm gonna be in the biennial (laughs) in Morocco the Moroccan biennial and um and that's in November and what is the biennial so every two years they do this it's a fair it's an art fair of artists um and this is something that I applied to um and didn't expect to get it and then I got it and I was like oh snap and the work that that I'm gonna be showing, and that is basically about language. It's called Searching for Mother Tongues. It's about language. How does language get lost or transmitted or or remembered through the diaspora, through the Black diaspora? So that's coming up in November. Also gonna be in this group show in Maine. It's called Form and Gesture. The name of the show is Form and Gesture. And it originally was at the Goucher Galleries in Towson. And now it's going to be at this place called Interlock in Thomaston, Maine. And that's opening August 25th.
0: Okay. August 25th. Um, Through
1: October 8th. Another thing that's coming up is this conference called Invisible Architectures that I am co-facilitating with my um, colleague and collaborator Kalima Young. Mm -hmm. We are hosting this conference at Towson University and it's about how to work through the archival silences that most universities have in the mid-Atlantic, but then also how do we use art to fill those gaps, fill the gaps in those silences. Um, So that is coming up in the spring of next year, and there'll be a show that we are curating as a part of that, so stay tuned for that too.
0: Awesome. Well, it sounds like you got a packed uh, event calendar, especially if you're going to be traveling internationally in, um, in the fall time. So uh, I think that it's going to be a fantastic experience for you. And uh, I wish you the best of luck.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: That was community artist and art lecturer Ada Pinkston. Follow her on Instagram at a pink stone. Hopefully she documents her journeys in Morocco this fall. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Local Color. The podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jason V. The podcast is distributed by your public studios. New episodes of Local Color will be released the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Learn more about Local Color at wypr.org.